Lore. Reflections from a range of authors, journalists, civic leaders, historians and generally interesting people exploring the importance of the written word, the value of a library and their own inspirations and motivations. Based in RSE Connolly, the James Connolly Visitor Centre, Belfast. You're very welcome back to Glore, the podcast based here in RSE Connolly on the Falls Road in Belfast. Today is the final podcast of 2020 um, and it's been quite an eventful series so far with a wide range of people and thoughts and reflections uh, for the year that has been in it. I'm delighted today to welcome the final guest of this series, uh, Fergal McUnrachty. Fergal is a community activist. Um, he's well known for his work with the Irish language community, but also within the Upper Springfield area in general. Gail Gusmurde Fergal, a Gail Gore through and through, he talks to us today about how that love of the language was sparked uh, both by the community, by his parents and by the experiences he had growing up um, in West Belfast in the 80s and 90s. Those experiences um, have clearly shaped who Fergal has become today and the work that he continues to do uh, within his community. I'll now pass you over to Fergal, um, but just a final note of thanks. Thank you to all of our listeners this year. Have a lovely Christmas, have a safe Christmas, stay home, look after each other. We'll see you in 2021. Harvey Garmill or Fadis, the man Sasta, Abby Mark Hudson would. I suppose to start off, uh, for anybody who doesn't know me, I'm based in West Belfast and I'm a community activist who, who works for an organisation called Grown and Mona, uh, a community organisation that works through the medium of Aries. We were established back in 2004 and I was amongst the cohort who helped establish the organisation. I went to Bunsko Football first year and the time when I attended Bunsko Football first year, it would have been the only Irish medium school in the north of Ireland and it had just I had just achieved recognition in the early 80s and, and I was supposed to be the mid-80s and for ourselves we would have got a bus that would have collected us at the top of the way down the road and, and there would have been about six or seven of us who got the bus uh, every day and sometimes the bus wouldn't have made it because there would have been a bomb scare or, or, or there would have been an attack by loyalists or there would have been a checkpoint or whatever else and it was great because you get a day off school and we were happy enough when you get a day off school. Uh, and the bus had a saying on it saying the special bus and bus special them. and obviously the thing about, about it is is we knew that we were special as well and there was something special about attending the school and for us the the, the school that we were p- part of was clearly articulated within a wider analysis of the conflict the conflict in the north of Ireland at that time and the revival of, of the language and the foundation establishment of Irish language schools was very much a bottom-up community endeavour that was linked to the wider struggle for national self-determination that was happening at that time and as, 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 a, as a son of two parents who were also very very active in their Republican struggle and the community struggle we kind of knew that it was all that it, that it was all related and all one. I then went on to attend Moscow first year Manskill first year was the first post-primary school in the north of Ireland again and I was amongst the second cohort the second year of the school in 1982 and the school hadn't gotten any funding at the time and there was a campaign ongoing for recognition and the school quickly became a litmus test for the emerging peace process at that time how could you talk about part of the statement of quality when you had this here school in the Falls Road that was a, that was a bona fide school but, wouldn't, but wasn't recognised by the Department of Education and as a first year I was brought 
Uh, I was actually in, the, in detention yesterday and I was brought by Fergus O'Hare to meet with the British government at Stormont, myself and another girl, Fiona Neve Aaron. Uh, and we were, we, we were brought to meet as part of a delegation to meet the lab on behalf of the school. And Cahill O'Donnelly at the time had us speak in Irish and have our words translated in the English. So I was to talk about the fact that our parents had to come into Caden's school. Fiona was to talk about the fact that we had no PE and no access to physical education. And we were to speak in Irish. And when we went up, I remember the huge, it was a big delegation, Gareth O'Carlin, Eamon O'Fagan, Ganyani, G.O.I. Her, Brendan O'Fee, Gareth O'Carlin, Fergus O'Hare, there was a whole contingent, even Irene, Irishella, Bonella, Akalia Lejani, and they were all part of the, of the delegation. So we spoke in Irish and had our words translated into English. And as the conversation went on, I can, there was this civil servant at the time, and he, he, he turned around and he says, if you people are, are so interested in learning this language, why can't you go and learn the language as a as a as a as a foreign language uh, in, in one of our grammar school streams in West Belfast, like of, of, of St Dominic's, pointing at Fiona, or should Mary's point at me? And I says, well, excuse me, can I come in now? I says, uh, I failed a transfer test at the eleven plus. Why wouldn't I have been able to go? It's Mary's, so where would I go? And he says, one well, force a young man. Some children have ability and others don't. August, the thing about it was, for me, is we, I live beside a British Army base and every day for Jericho we were under military occupation. So you've seen the oppressive force of empire in front of your very eyes. But here was the discretionary power of empire administratively preventing us from having the rights that we were entitled to and the resources that we were entitled to up front the bit. So it was a hugely politicising a factor for me at, at, at that time and I suppose I was committed then to play my part in the thing and work out that you worked out very quickly that, that, that the school was part of a wider campaign and that we as young people were part of something special and we had to put something back in. I guess that sense of obligation was there from a very very early age. When I was doing my A-levels then, uh, 1988, my oldest brother Terry was murdered by my loyalists in the centre of Belfast and he was a well-known youth and community worker in Belfast at the time and of course there was a huge outpouring of grief in, in the community and there was a whole outpouring of solidarity and again I think this, as, as, as hard and as, tra- as traumatic as that was and still is for our family, we saw what the West Belfast community was about and the West Belfast community is ultimately about community, about solidarity, about resistance, about resilience. I suppose all those themes permeated all the stuff that I've been doing ever since and in a sense the community activism that I've been involved in and the academic stuff and, and the research stuff that I've been doing has been all about servicing, servicing that struggle and giving back to that struggle. And that was one of the things that, I suppose, struck me. The term education itself comes from the Latin agicuri, which means to draw out from. And this very much mirrors the radical philosophy talked about by people like Paulo Freire, who talked about viewing every individual as an agent for, for change. Freire would critique what was called the banking model of education, uh, which accounts for what makes up our currently our, our currently very flawed education model. And he talked about how people will be treated like empty vessels where you pour the information into their head. And rather than seeing them as that, he, he described this here, this this form of education as education for domestications. You're domesticating people to be part of the status quo rather than trying to change the status quo. The opposite of that, what he talked about was was reflective education and he called that critical education. And what he, and what he talked about 
was establishing the fact that the power dynamics could be drawn out through recognizing that everybody had a role to play. And I think that very much permeated what we we experienced in, in the Irish medium education system at that time. What Ferry called this was education for liberation. And I think that, that, that liberatory, emancipatory uh, philosophy Kind of, kind of has inspired me to this day and the work that I'm involved in and a lot of the stuff that we're involved in with RC Connolly here that this podcast I think is very much is very much infused with that same aim education for liberation and I suppose that was one of the things that came through in our education system as well people public Pierce were talking about this in his book Emerging Machine he talked about the 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 revivalist as a fosterer so this is the, the, the idea when we would, you would see in the Irish Sunday schools, we would call the kids by their first name, for, for example. There's no hierarchy. The nonsense of a vampire with the sir and stuff like that was never there. And it was about that, it was about that horizontal approach to education. So the teacher was a foster, a fosterer or a foster parent. And I think our, our own experience was very much mirrored in that. When I was then doing my A-levels, I went... When I was uh, again now at this stage, we just moved to Moscow. For Moscow first, it became college the first year, and moved up to, up to, up the Beachman, where it is at present. And uh, we, a guy who you might know called Sheila Abranak, who's involved in our so economy here, was was, was only out of jail at the time, and he was involved with another guy called Eamon O'Donnell, who was doing Irish language Christ courses. And Eamon O'Donnell and Fergus O'Hare and she, and Sheila had designed these five week. Irish language courses and they were going around community organisations and they came into the school and they cajoled a few of us who were doing A-levels to go with them and something very, very informative happened for me uh, that was very, very, that this was, was contributed to, to a piece of work that, that I would then develop and be involved in. We went on a trip to a Donegal guilt act uh, with Sheila and a pile of ex-prisoners at the time. I remember uh, Pat O'Sheahan or, or Shiki, he was only at it it yelled at the time, Danny Barkley, James O'Morrigan from, from Cachalachia first there, and they were all having a paint in Chak Rury, and they were all talking Irish, and what struck me was Sheena was sitting there with a guy from Mandytown who was in jail with him in the Blanger protest, Sheena was speaking Irish and he was speaking English, and I said to Sheena, why are you speaking Irish, he's speaking English, he says, oh he's forgot his spoken Irish, but we always talk in Irish, and during the blankets, but he understands everything. So these were telling these stories about about prison, and it was and, and the, the language was alive, and it was fun, and it was and it was it had a a, a function that was very very, it was very very informal and social. But during the conversation, it came up about the fact that the language had, had become a huge source of struggle and resistance in jail. So I was, the conversation went on, and we're talking about the different time periods where the language had been important in jail, and the different people who were involved in that, and how that they would go outside and be involved in language activism on the outside. So anecdotally, I knew that in my own community, people like, like John Boyle Morgan and, and Jim McCann, ex-presidents had set up the schools in our area. Matt Lundy, the Danny Barkley, had set up Gifts on the Mona. And I remember when it came to doing a thesis, we said to myself, Never, there's no books about that. No one's ever did anything about that. I, I mean, thinking that was innocent, but of course you probably found out that there was something more sinister at play. That the history from below, that the the anti-establishment emancipatory history of the Republican struggle is often something that's occluded or omitted from the official narrative. And so sometimes these things happen more by design than by accident. So as I began to dig up in this, I did a master's thesis, and it turned out that there was a guy called Paddy O'Blaney, who's now a lecturer in St Mary's College, who he did a thesis on for an undergraduate. Other than that, other than that there was nothing. So when I, I did the master's thesis, when I finished it, uh, the guy who was, who was in charge of the Irish course at Queen's at the time, Dr Donald O'Brien, said to me, do you want to do a PhD? And I said to him, 
what's a PhD? And he says to me, well, it's this thing, it's this year, it's like a, a research thing for three years and you get the funding and you can do a three-year study and, uh, and, and you can... You can, can can continue on and, and be funded to do it. So anyway, out of that out of that conversation came the book on on Republican prisoners and the Irish language, which for me was a labour of love, and it was about trying to piece together the story that I was talking about earlier on. At one level, you had what happened in jail; these people learning the Irish language, becoming a, a language of struggle and resistance during their imprisonment period of incarceration and at the other level how this had an impact on the struggle on the outside on their arrival to place in the community so, so my research was about bringing that together and the book came out in 2013 language resistance and, and, and revival and that was about speaking to that story so thereafter the work that i've been involved in with gloria mona has, has been about creating I suppose the theory of praxis, whereby how do you how do you use this history, this emancipatory history, and the theory that, that comes along with it, and how do you make that of use to communities in the inside and on the outside? And I suppose that was one of the things that, that came forth with the 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 conversation about academia. If someone comes from a working class community, oftentimes you can feel alienated with academia. And and, and his own Mimic Pierce in his podcast talked about that class, that class dynamic that's there. But for me. It was never really about having a doctor in front of my name. It was more about how could you retail our history and challenge the official narrative and give people voice who hadn't previously had voice before. So from thereafter, with stuff that we've been involved in when we talk about community education, it's about empowering people. It's about being of service to the community. So, so for me, in my own experience, it's, 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 it's been how can you use the skills that you've developed and the experience that you've developed to, to successfully service a struggle that's happening in communities and, and have the most value and have the greatest impact. And I think that's one of the things that's happening now with organisations like the one I'm involved in with Rona Mona, what we're trying to do is, is find novel ways to engage with young people, to create platforms that are empowering, that are participatory and, 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 and expand on our struggle to bring through a new generation of, of activists who are educated, who are, who are political, who are radical and have no shackles in terms of, of, of what they're able to achieve and ultimately will continue until our struggle develops in the time ahead. Mm-hmm.